catch this wolf of with the green teeth. Let me in. And now, my friend, the first rule of Italian driving. What's behind me is not important. Studying, studying, studying. Here comes Cooper on that outside move again. Cooper, outside. Can he pull him off? Matt Cooper with a brilliant move on the outside. Never seen that done through Mosses. And look at the run that Matt Cooper has. Hey, 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 everybody. Good afternoon and welcome to episode number 32 of Rumble Stripper Radio. I guess that makes that the uh, Eric Bostrom edition of the show. And uh, welcome you back to the place that puts you on pole position for news commentary in the world of motorcycle road racing. Yes, of course, Rumble Stripper Radio. Good to have you back. Thank you, uh, all the new subscribers to the show. And uh, welcome back, all of our old, uh, old listeners. Got a pretty good show lined up here for you today, and uh, including an interview with Road Racer X's Chris Johnham, who is uh, on the ground in Spain getting ready for the final round of the MotoGP uh, circus and uh, everything that goes along with that, which obviously is going to be the focus of the show today. Um, a few other things to talk about, which we're going to get to in a couple minutes, but primarily we are going to talk about how uh, Valencia is going to break down and what riders need to do to take a championship. So uh, let's get to take care of the administrative side of things first. Of course, the website is uh, www.rumblestripradio.com. Feedback, as always, is at rumblestripperradio at gmail.com. And, uh, of course, we welcome all feedback, positive feedback, negative feedback, general comments. You can also leave uh, comments over on uh, the website, just uh, underneath the episode and the show notes. There is a section there for comments. Click on that and leave comment there and get, uh, get a little bit of a discussion started there. Also, as you're uh, over on the website, you can always listen to the show right there. You can download it or you can subscribe. The links uh, uh, hopefully are pretty obvious these days for your subscription. You can either subscribe to it through iTunes or through your favorite RSS reader, news reader. And uh, the links are right there. Take it, take that for you. Uh, also on the site, of course, are the links for the uh, ads that uh, we ask that you click through. And uh, see what uh, see what the people on the uh, Google AdSense have, and click through a couple things that that definitely helps out the site. Getting a few cents here and there off of that, so I know some of you are doing that, and it is greatly appreciated. You can also use the Google toolbar at the top of the page and uh, start some searches off of that. And once again, by doing that, that uh, does help out the a little bit of rev a little bit of a revenue stream here for the site. Not much of one, but. Any anything is appreciated at this point. Also, want to encourage you to take advantage of uh, the emusic.com um, uh, promotion there. So you sign up for 25 free songs, and as soon as you download them, you can cancel the uh, cancel your account with, with no obligation whatsoever. You get 25 free tunes, very good quality. I, I took advantage of it. And um, by doing that, everyone who does that kicks uh, $6 to the site. And as I said last time, if, if we can get about uh, 8 to 10 people a month doing that, which is really isn't that much, um, that basically takes care of my costs for, for the show as far as web hosting and uh, bandwidth to, uh, to deal with it. So if you can take care of that, that would be much, much appreciated. So... With that, that uh, pretty much does take care of the administrative side of things, like just to uh, get it out there, get it out of the way. So what do we have as far as news this past week? Well, a few things have popped up here in the last couple of days. In fact, a few things even today. Uh, the World Superbike calendar was released earlier this week, and there are two open dates 
um, on the calendar. And looking at it, I'm going to guess that if there is going to be a U.S. round um, for World Superbike, it's going to be on the July 8th date, uh, which is a week before. Is that a week? Yeah, a week before the MotoGP event. Now, it will not be at Laguna because the open date for Laguna was in September, and that has now been snatched by the AMA. So there will be a second AMA round in Laguna uh, mid-September. Now, uh, where I, I I really need to take a look at where uh, schedules for the other tracks to see what might be available. But if I had to take a guess of where uh, World Superbike would race in the United States, my guess would be either Road America or Miller. Uh, now, the Miller facility has has the actual paddock facilities to. Uh, definitely accommodate World Superbike, and I know that they want to do it. The actual facilities themselves uh, may be a year away from really being in, in good shape to host uh, the series. Um, I, uh, the reason I would think Road America would be uh, a great track is just it's a very historic track here in the U.S. Uh, it doesn't really have the paddock facilities, and the area around it might be a little dodgy, but there's such a huge... Um, audience to draw from, from that track between uh, Milwaukee and Chicago, Minneapolis, um, even Iowa. A lot of, it, it draws from a lot of different places. A lot of people from Michigan head over there, either drive around the lake or uh, take the uh, couple different ferries across the lake over there. So um, I think it'd be a great track for World Superbike. So hopefully we'll see something come pretty soon uh, as far as that announcement. Now, let's see. What else do we have here? Uh, of course, uh, Troy Corser was out on the R1 for the first time and in a press release, like, oh, what a fantastic bike. Well, as you expected him to say anything else. So he said it's different, but he likes it. We'll see what happens with that. Um, Bostrom, Ebaz, and uh, uh, DeSalvo were out testing at Daytona on the, on the, on the 07 R1 and seemed to... Uh, enjoy the bike, although they say a lot of work to be done on that. So, yeah, whatever. Uh, big news is that Alex Barros has been signed to the Dantine team for next year on the for the 800cc Ducati MotoGP bike. And I'm going to guess that Ducati themselves was very involved in getting that done, wanting a uh, higher quality rider on one of those bikes. Once again, the uh, Dantine is pretty much going to have the same spec bike uh, as the factory team with the same tires and they want as many data points as they can get and Barros being a very good rider um, is going to be yet another place to get some some valuable data from so what I'm hoping is that uh, with Barros on that bike that we'll should be able to see the Dantine team up in the top uh, seven eight bikes next year depending on how you know everything sorts of themselves out with the 800 so could be very very interesting on that uh, Chris Walker has found a new home for next year. Stalker is going back to the British Superbike Series to ride for Rizla Suzuki. Uh, he was uh, he rode for them a couple weeks ago for the the uh, Race of Champions event and won the event. And I'm sure that did uh, a lot of things <laughs> to help his uh, opportunities there. But I guess he'd been talking to them a little bit, and that's going to be a pretty solid ride for him in uh, in British Superbike. <laughs> And probably give him a pretty good shot at winning the championship, especially with Suzuki coming out with a brand new thousand for next year. Both Yamaha and Suzuki with new thousands for next year. So that could be very, very interesting. Uh, Ducati re-signed uh, Lorenzo Lanzi. That's a huge head-scratcher. I'm sure everyone's wondering what the hell is going on with that. And then on the news that came across, I believe it was earlier today, this morning, last night or this morning, is that uh, Makoto Tamada has signed with the Tech 3 team uh, to run the Yamaha on Dunlops. Now, it's not quite his beloved Bridgestones, but he has raced Dunlop successfully back in the Japanese Superbike Series. Uh, so there might be some uh, might be some hope for that team there. Uh, I would say that trading Cheka for Tamada would be... I'd say that that's maybe not quite an even trade, but it should be pretty close. Tamada, uh, for those of us who remember him back in the uh, Japanese Superbike days, and he had a few wildcard world Superbike rides... World Superbike rides 
Uh, and then even what he did in MotoGP when he had the Bridgestones, and even when the Bridgestones aren't what they are today, uh, pretty spectacular rider, and, and it may even be an upgrade at the end of the day. It's hard, it's hard to say, uh, but it'll be good to see uh, Makoto back and hopefully uh, competitive because he is uh, – here's the reason I like Tomata. In, 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 in a uh, culture that – it's sort of a xenophobic culture. Uh, anyone who's been to Japan kind of knows that. Uh, and it's, you know, you're Japanese. You should have to ask a certain, you should need to ask, uh, act a certain way. Uh, you support Japanese products, blah, 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 blah. Well, he, he, he wears MotoGP leathers, which is an Austrian company, and wears a Suomi lid, which is an Italian company. So, yeah, just, you know, he's, he's a little more colorful, a little, little character, not quite, you know, your cookie cutter Japanese rider, which is, which is kind of cool. Uh, although unlike Abe, this guy actually has talent and performs. You know, Abe had the talent, never performed. Tomoto has the talent and can perform, um, and I think you'll see a lot more of that for for next year. So, pretty much all the important news. So let's uh, hear from a couple people, and then let's talk about Valencia. Listen up, sport riders. If you're not listening to the Knee Dragon Podcast, you're not getting the whole story. The Knee Dragon Podcast has news, crazy results, new bikes, tech talk, riding technique, interviews, opinion, and of course, shameless self-promotion. So check us out, kneedragon.net, or on the iTunes Music Store under podcast. Knee Dragon will find us, and then we'll find you. Two hundred and forty horsepower, two hundred miles per hour, two wheels with no roll cage. This is the world of motorcycle road racing, the pinnacle of motorsport. I'm Bob Hayes, host of MotoGP OD, the podcast about motorcycle road racing. Tune in each week as we discuss what's happening in MotoGP, World Superbike, and AMA racing. Race reports, tech talk, opinion, reader email—we have it all. Just go to www.motogpod.com and subscribe. Okay, so Valencia, last round of the series. Obviously, unless you're dead, you know what's going on here. Uh, Nikki Hayden is eight points down coming in to uh, Valentino Rossi and has to really, really put it down and catch a bit of luck to win this championship. And there have been... Pretty much everyone who's put their opinion out in the last two weeks. Uh, Randy Mamola has an article out now kind of talking about stuff, and uh, he's pulling for Hayden at the end of the day, not necessarily for, in a sense, patriotic reasons, but more because it'd be good for MotoGP that someone other than Rossi would win the title. Um, Steve Parrish has put in his two cents over at the BBC and pretty much went with, Actually, you know what? I think I'm going to – I think Parrish had Rossi winning the championship, but he actually picked Melandry to win the race. So that um, could very well be. Uh, Melandry tends to go well at this track. You know, of course, there's the the talk that this isn't uh, Valentino's track. You know, that's part of the Valentino um, – playing mind games with people, or at least trying to play mind games with people. He's won twice here in, in MotoGP in 03 and 04, I believe, for the two years. Yes. And so he's just, I'm sure he's trying to get in people's heads and, you know, downplay the deal a little bit. Nick, this, you know, tends to be a good track for Nicky as it's a counterclockwise track. You know, Nick Nick's background in dirt track and tends to go well on, on those kind of courses. And, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, of course, the Hobbit was out saying, you know, saying the right things this week that he's going to try and support Nikki and all that. Well, you know, it's one of those things you would hope so. But let's see what happens when the when the lights go off and the action goes on, you know. So here's uh, here's the point scenario. What needs to happen if Nikki Hayden wants the shot at winning the series? Um, what do we have here? If Nikki wins, Rossi would need to finish third or worse. If Nick finishes second, then Rossi would have to finish fifth or worse. Um, if Nikki finishes third, then Rossi has to finish ninth or worse. Fat chance of that. And then uh, 
If Hayden's fourth, Rossi has to be 12th. If Hayden's fifth, Rossi has to be 14th. Hayden's sixth, Rossi has to be 15th. And if Hayden finishes seventh, Rossi has to finish uh, lower than six, or basically score no points for Nikki to have a shot at, you know, for Nikki to win the title. Uh, basically, it is down to those two riders. You know, how do you see this thing playing out? It, it's pretty much Nick's got to, he's basically got to have the hammer down all weekend. Now, does he need to get the pole? Maybe. Maybe not. Um, the poll would be helpful maybe from a psychological standpoint for himself. Um, and if he can be quick, all, and, and not one of those deals where he snags the pole at the last second uh, or on some super, super soft qualifying tires. He, I mean, he needs to be at the top of the charts on race tires and on cues. Now, as long as he, in my mind, as long as he starts in the front row, he's in good shape. Um If he's in the second row, then then you get into the the whole issues of worrying about the clutch and stuff because uh, he's going to have to launch it hard, and he might be a little hesitant to do that, even though they've been working on it and working on it, and just to have that worry in the back of your mind. So that's why I say he at least needs to get on the front row because if you're there, you got you got a pretty good shot to turn one no matter where you are. And he can let, you know, zing it and let it go and just hope to slot in in the top three, four, five riders. And if he can do that, and then I think he's in good shape. And then you pretty much manage the race. You sit, depending on how, you know, how, how everything's going. If you feel good, then you put the hammer down. You try to get out in front and you try and break the field. If he doesn't think that he can do that, then he needs to sit in, you know, second, third spot, keep it close to the front. Uh, obviously, he's got to be very, very mindful of where Valentino is. Uh, I'm sure there might be some strategy with trying to get him and some other riders between uh, between himself and Rossi. You know, there's going to be a lot, a lot of racecraft that goes on in this race, which maybe is as interesting as the actual race itself. And that's provided we don't have any disasters that happen here. Um, you know, once everything goes green, it's hard to say who's going to happen. You know, what's going to happen and who's going to have the red mist flowing. Um, you know, it's going to be it depends on what Honda has done and said to their other riders, uh, as far as trying to help out the company uh, get secure the championship. Whether they even care about that, I mean, from a public relations standpoint, at this point, they uh, they should care about it. But you know, they're Honda, so who knows? Um, one of the things you'll hear in the interview with Chris Johnham is that. Um, and he has a couple thoughts on that too. It's actually a really good interview with him, and was very happy that he was able to take some time out. And we'll get to that here in uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, the other thing to worry about too about the MotoGP race is <laughs> how delayed might this race be? And and here's why I say that: the 250 race generally is bef- right before the the uh, MotoGP. Ra- the 250 race is yeah before the MotoGP race. Well, you got to remember that there is a Spaniard sitting on top of the points, and I think he only needs to finish like sixth or seventh uh, to clinch the championship. That would be Jorge Lorenzo and the Lollipop Guild. So can you imagine if he maybe doesn't even have to win the race, but if he wins the championship, um, it may be a little bit of a mob scene on the track uh and then having to you know do the work to get everyone off the track afterwards so that could be very 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 interesting on how it's going to be now there's already they've sold all 225,000 tickets for the whole weekend uh they're expecting 135,000 people on Sunday alone um and you got to believe that there's going to be a lot of people sneaking in and moving their way so the whole weekend's attendance will probably be in excess of a quarter million people so i mean this is just a huge 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 event i mean when you get jeff gordon commenting on what's going on you know and you get nascar oh i wish i had that drop in here still what about nascar you like nascar yeah no i have both i have all my teeth and my parents were, weren't related i i cannot like nascar so um, it's going to be it, unbelievable. It's one of those things where you're going to need to get there at 6 in the morning every day just to get into the track, and then uh, you're not going to be able to leave till you know 11 o'clock at night just because of, of how bad the crowds are. And, and traffic control in and out of there isn't the greatest either from, from what people have been to the event uh, tell me. So 
as far as how the race is going to go down, like I said, all the race crap that could go on, who's going to have what. Um, Ducati's saying that they're not going to bring the 800 bikes to race, that they actually want to finish out the uh, the 800, you know, the 990 um, era by putting a 990 bike on the podium, if not go for the win with Caparossi. Uh, you know, I, I can understand that, that that might be more valuable to them in some ways than a race weekend worth of testing. Um, another, yeah, that's one of those six, six, one, half a dozen, the others, since you can't, your, your position's pretty much locked in as far as manufacturers points, uh, as far as writers standpoint, why not go for the extra, uh, the extra testing. And in fact, where the 800 might be the better setup, just because of how tight that track is, um, you might be able to, you'll be quicker in the corners and maybe not have the fire out, but if you can maybe ride around the outside uh, and carry the corner speed that way or just be better on the brakes coming in, uh, it might pose some pose some advantage, especially if you can get out front uh, and not get tied up in traffic. You might actually be able to do some damage with an 800 at that track. So the uh, The one thing that not a lot of people are talking about, and Chris did bring this up, and and I've actually mentioned this a few times, is everyone assumes that Rossi's going, going to kick back a little bit and um, maybe, I might say, take it easy, but manage a little bit here now that he's got the, uh, the eight-point lead in the championship here in the last round. But here's what I think people are discounting, is number one, if Valentino wins then he is the only person ever to be the 990 champion. And we've talked a little bit about that, about how significant that is. He was the last 500 champion. Uh, he's the oh, He'd be the only 990 champion. Uh, and then obviously sets him up to be the first 800 champion. That's That's huge. On top of that, I think it would mean a lot to him to win the last race, to really close it out in that manner, to be not only the only 990 champion, but to win the last 990 in a 990 MotoGP race. I think that's huge for him. Uh, so that's why I say I don't discount Valentino just going out there for the win. Uh, on top of that, Marco has you know, been riding very, very well. And, uh, and, that, and you get Tony Elias fresh off uh, of win and a brand new contract, and I'm sure full of confidence, running in front of his home crowd. You know, that's just a ton of people that are going to be up there mixing up. But then again, you got to figure... You know, his Honda had a little, you know, put their arm around the shoulder and said, boys, you both have contracts for next year. We'll take care of you on this. Here's what we need to do. Is that happening? Hard to say. You know, who knows what the actual conversations, if any, are going on in the background. I mean, based on how Honda's handled things in the past, you know, <laughs> probably none, to be honest with you. Just an absolute goat fornication when it comes to that but hey you reap what you sow right i mean i don't know kind of my thought on that whole deal other than that um a few other thoughts on valencia here uh, the uh, the other wild card in here too that we're not haven't mentioned well sort of mentioned because of the ducati is uh, troy bayless on the uh, one-time shot here on the moto gp bike you got to believe that Bayless has got a little bit of unfinished business and maybe a little bit of FU back at Ducati and in this manner. He had done pretty well as a rider. I mean, he debuted the bike at, you know, at, at Valencia back in the day. And he had given some feedback about the bike in the development of it. And they didn't agree with that feedback. Told him, no, this is the way we're doing it. And the bike went downhill. Now, as soon as they kind of reversed course and, and made all the changes that he had requested as he was on his way out the door, uh, the last two races of 04, yeah, 04, um, all of a sudden, he was very, very competitive on the bike, and he finished on the box again. So, and you know, obviously, he got the World Superbike ride, or you know, went to Honda for the one year. Um, yeah, that was the Pons team. You know, did not very well. 
went back to Ducati on Superbike, obviously won the championship. Now he's got to be, you know, throwing a leg over this thing this weekend, going, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to finish on the box, and I'm going to make you scratch your heads like, did you really make the right decision in not resigning me and not listening to me? So I'm not saying, you know, it's a little bit of a rub, you know, a little salt in the wound type of thing. I mean, he's already won a championship for them this year on World Superbike, and, you know, I'm sure he's going to. Going to put it all out there. I mean, he's got nothing to lose, right? He's done riding for a while. Uh, I'm sure he's got to start testing the uh, the 1098 bike for Superbike next year pretty soon here. But, uh, you know, no no loss in him going out there and, you know, maximum effort, throwing it, you know, if he throws it down the road, eh, you know what? It was a freebie race anyway, so what do you do? But uh, with that, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff to talk about, about the race, about how strategy uh, could break down how how everyone's going to handle everything, but at the end of the day, it's you know e, e, so many different ways that this could break down that we could spend three hours talking about it. But you know it's all ifs and buts and candies and nuts. And if it was that way, it'd be Christmas all year long. So it pretty much you know if you're not watching the MotoGP feed. Live and hopefully they've got some extra bandwidth built in for this weekend, <laughs> so not everyone gets dropped or that uh, freezes up like it did for the last uh, last event. Um, it, it'll all be good. So, I'm trying to think what I just said. I think the two fifty race is on at about six in the morning Eastern time, and then the MotoGP race will be on about eight o'clock in the morning Eastern time uh, off of MotoGP.com. And then if you're in the United States and the Speed Channel is showing the race at 3.30 Eastern Time as well. Um, now you're dealing with time change here in the U.S. and I'm not sure about other parts of the world this weekend. So make sure that you adjust your clocks. It'll be, you know, fall back so you get an extra hour of sleep, thankfully. Um, so we'll see what happens. It, pretty much it's going to be... I think everyone's going to be on the edge of the seat, and you got to hope for a really, really, really good race. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So with that, uh, let's uh, let's hear from uh, Chris and our interview with Chris. As, uh, like I said, he's on the ground there in Spain by now. We recorded this. Uh, today is Thursday in the afternoon. We recorded this Tuesday, and the only reason it shows out, out sooner is actually had some stuff that I had to do to try and make some money this week, and, well, it hasn't exactly worked out, but, you know, I had to spend the time doing it, otherwise there's going to be no chance of making money this week. So, anyways, so let's hear from uh, Chris, and then we'll be back to wrap up the show. All right, joining us here, very special guest, and very glad to uh, have him on here. He is the editor of probably one of the best magazines uh, for motorcycles in the United States. Uh, he is Chris Johnham from Road Racer X. Chris, thanks for joining us on uh, Rubble Strip Radio. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's going to be a little bit different to be on the other side of an interview here. <laughs> That's true. A lot of, uh, lot of people know you from, uh, from, obviously, your work at Road Racer X, and uh, also you've been doing um, the, uh, okay, I'm not going to have the official title correct, but it's the MotoGP Red Bull podcast featuring Nick and John all, all year, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, official name is the Red Bull MotoGP Weekly Dispatch, and I know that because I say it so often. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's, uh, this has been our first year doing that, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. That's good. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about a uh, little bit about the podcast. Um, how did uh, how did you guys come to uh, how that come about to uh, to get done? Well, um, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure what the decision making process was um, from when they first started thinking about it. It was Red Bull's idea, and um, they approached me about possibly doing it. I, I had already had a relationship with them from working on the um, we do the official program for the Red Bull USGP and stuff. So. Um, I guess, uh, for whatever reason, they, they thought that I might be a good candidate to do it. And, um, I knew that there were a couple other, uh, real good, uh, podcasts out there that I enjoyed and I thought it would be a great idea. I think that I wanted, I think MotoGP is just a great series and a great sport and just want to do whatever little I can to, um, help keep it, help keep, help it grow here in the U.S. Yeah. Talk, talk about the, 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 the year to, to, uh, to start doing it. I mean, this is possibly one of the greatest MotoGP seasons in, in what, almost 20 years maybe? 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's just been incredible. Um, you know, it's it's really been the type of a season that I think any promoter would just dream of having, and the type of a season that a magazine editor or a podcast uh, <laughs> maker would um, would also dream of of having to work with. It's just you don't have to manufacture or uh, pretend that there's any drama. There, it's just there's more drama than you could possibly hope for. You know, and it's just been. It's been, you know, compared to some of the other sports out there, it's more exciting, but it's also a little bit more pure. I mean, you just know these guys are, are real athletes, and there's no, uh, <laughs> there's there's hardly any opportunity for cheating or anything like that. And um, the, the the riders themselves are just such good people for the most part. They're just uh, a, a joy to work with, and um, and just really good spokesmen for the sport that any series would be uh, lucky to have. And then you're working with two of them. I mean, uh, I've known uh, Hopper for a long time from back when I covered him and when he was coming up and, and Nikki as well. And I mean, you talk about two fairly articulate people who, who put the, put a face on racing that as a, as a sponsor, you'd love to see you got two, two great guys. You really can't ask for two better guys. No, you're really right. It's been, it's been perfect because, um, you know, this year obviously they're they're kind of they've kind of been in much different positions. So we get we're getting two different perspectives at every show, and the the one perspective is from Nikki, who's obviously led the series for the most part, and um, that's that's one perspective. He's on the factory Honda team, and um, you know, uh, just enjoying a lot of success and a lot of people talking about him and whatnot. And um, and then we've got uh, Hopper, who is is keeps improving and everything, but you know, his his bike hasn't always been the most competitive and um, although it's getting better, but it's just been, uh, he's been doing a great job too, but he's just been having to, to fight a little bit harder, work a little bit harder. And it's just been really good to kind of have the, 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 the two different dynamics um, work and, and to just give a really good perspective, overall perspective of, of, of the sport. And then of course we get to every once in a while have, I think it's been five shows this year. We've had uh, Randy Mamola do special guest appearances on there. And he's, he's making an appearance for our final show. That's uh, for, for the pre-race show for this um, Valencia race. And of course, um, anybody who's ever read Randy's stuff or, or listened to Randy knows that he's really hooked in and uh, got a great insider perspective that's invaluable. And, and the fact that uh, that he's not a writer anymore really helps give us just a whole another perspective because we've got the two writers um, that are speaking every show, and then every once in a while we bring in Randy to take kind of a more detached uh, and yet uh, very clued in. Um, take on the whole thing, and, and it's just uh, it's been a lot of fun. Now, Randy, Randy is definitely on my top five of uh, people I'd I'd, li- I'd love to interview. Just uh, some of his insight and uh, the way that he sees things is and, and and his experience getting to this point in life of just got to be I don't know just it's it's, it's really it's, it's you know tremendous. Yeah, I agree, and it, and I think that uh, that you, you you said it exactly right. It's his experience um, up until this point. That has got him to, to that's got him this respect uh, that he now has with everybody in the paddock. Um, it's uh, it's all well and good for me or for any other journalist to go, um, you know, do an interview or something. But Randy has, you know, he, he's been there from the from the get go. He's been a rider and a very good rider who finished second and very close to to winning the championship on several occasions. And so he's got that going for him. So that automatically, you know, just gives him a, a, a feather in his hat if he goes up to one of the paddock or one of the garages or whatever and wants to talk to, um, to say, Jeremy Burgess or Valentino Rossi or Nicky Hayden or whatever. Automatically, they're going to give him a little bit more leeway just because of the fact that he's um, that he's got he's so been had such success as a writer and everything. Sorry, there's a phone call in the background, but uh, he's. Um, so, but then he's also proved himself in other areas too. I mean, he's a, he, he, as you know, he's has many different um, things going on in the paddock. He's uh, he's a journalist for he, he does a column for us, and he also does a column for uh, Motociclismo, which is an important weekly magazine in Spain. And he's a uh, um, you know he, he does the Ducati two seater. He does the Riders for Health charity. Uh, he does comment, commentating on British television for Eurosport, and um, from what I see, he does all of those amazingly well. He has to he has to keep a lot of balls in the air, and he does a good job of juggling them and not letting them hit the ground. And I think that's why he's got that respect. He uh, tried to talk you into going for a ride on the back of that Ducati. 
actually he successfully talked me into it. Oh, oh you <laughs> I, did? Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. At the uh, the first Red Bull USGP, the 2005 one, um, I got an opportunity to do it. Yeah. I mean, I'd always kind of thought that I would never really do it. And um, I just because I just figured somebody's got to be the first to fall off, you know, with Randy. And, um, and <laughs> I didn't want to do that one. And yet, uh, so anyway, I got a call. I was in the, in the pits, uh, I think it was Friday or Saturday at the USGP, uh, the first one. And um, I got a call from, uh, I think it was from Steve Tegram at Red Bull. And he said, hey, you want to ride the two-seater? And I mean, I didn't, before I could even hang up the phone, I was already sprinting to uh, to the Red Bull <laughs> Energy Station to, uh, to get fitted for my suit and everything. And um, yeah, so I did it, did two laps at uh, Laguna and... Um, Man, it, it, I'm not exaggerating to tell you it's the most intense and incredible thing I've ever done in my life. And, uh, and after two laps, I, I just, after two laps, I got off the thing and I was, uh, I was panting, gasping for breath. And I, and I can't imagine doing, you know, 40, 45 minutes around, around a, a, a MotoGP track. It was, uh, it's incredible. And Randy, you know, I going in, I, I thought, well, you know, I've, I've ridden at this track before. I'm an okay rider and, um, I know what I'm in for. And I, couldn't have been more wrong. I mean, it was just uh, so much beyond the most, the best I've ever ridden that uh, it was a completely new experience. It just, it really just seemed, it seemed, didn't seem real. It seemed impossible. It seemed like I was playing a video game or something and my mind was just going, nah, this is, this is not really happening. <laughs> and um, it was, uh, if you ever, if anybody ever gets the opportunity to do it, I know it's, 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 um, it's tough to do, but uh, it's, it's, I, I can't, I can't uh, tell you how cool it is. It's it's just the most incredible thing I've ever done. Oh, it's that's that's also on one of those top. I don't. That might be on the top two list of things I want to do in the next few <laughs> years. You know, before I die. What I yeah. want to say it. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's cool. Let's talk a little bit about um, how things have built up to uh, to where they are in MotoGP. Because um, one of the reasons I want to talk to you is uh, is that you are headed off to Valencia. I think you said tomorrow. Uh, for the yeah, final round here. I was, I was checking my bags when you called. Ah, okay. Um, one of the things I want to, as a precursor, is with the, I didn't say, with the with the education that we have here in the U.S. and the uh, the lack of ability to read other languages, um, we don't really get so much the world perspective on on what you know for for how Val, how big Valentino is in the U.S. or how some of the U.S. riders are perceived overseas. And I know you spent a lot of time. Uh, in Europe this year, in Italy, and, and in a few other races, um, how is Nikki perceived in Europe? Uh, that's a very good question, and um, and it's, it's kind of tough for me to answer. Uh, you know, because I've, I've been to a few races over there, but I mean, I haven't. I, it's not like I'm there a whole lot, so it's a little tough to say. But my impression has been. Uh, throughout the season, I mean, first of all, Nikki has always been popular over there. Just you know, he's. Uh, I think the Americans are, tend to be popular in the first place. Nikki is, uh, you know, he's on the on pretty much the top team. He's got such a great personality, and you know, the, the <laughs> movie star smile or whatever. The um, and he's just such a nice, likable guy that that he's uh, he's he's popular. That said, I think over the course of this season. Um, when he had such a big points lead and then um, in the latter part of the season when it started to get eaten into by Valentino, um, my impression is that there, that, that maybe, maybe I guess I can just speak about the media. I think the, the overseas press has started to kind of downplay his abilities and has started to criticize him and, and you know, in Italian, there's a word campionissimo, and it's campione is champion, and campionissimo is very champion, literally, but it just means a really big special champion. And I guess uh, Rossi would be the most uh, obvious example of that. And they're saying that, you know, Nikki is not a campionissimo. And, um, you know, uh, that's fine. It might, may or not, may not be the case, but, uh, um, you know, I think it's quite a an, an achievement just to 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 lead uh, a MotoGP series, let alone uh, become champion in it. And we, you know, has yet to be seen as, we, as we're speaking whether or not he will become a champion. But um, it's the you know he's beating the the, the best rider currently in uh, the best the best currently active rider in the world, and uh, he has been beating him beating him up until Estoril, and. Um, arguably the best rider of all time, 
in Valentino. So w- whatever happens, I mean, I think that uh, that that there's a, that he deserves a certain amount of respect this, uh, for what he's done this year. And I think that that maybe he hasn't quite gotten his due uh, in recent uh, weeks. But I think um, what happened there in Estoril really has kind of brought people uh, all over the world uh, behind Nikki. I think, you know, it's, it was a terrible thing that happened with, uh, with Nikki being taken out of the race by his own teammate. But uh, if there is a silver lining, I would say that it's just the fact that uh, it was so unfair and so such a shame and <laughs> that it really has brought people to his defense and brought people over to his to, to support him. And, um, you know, uh, I, I called some of these European magazines um, when I was working on my column last week, and uh, my online column, Road Rage Head. I talked to some of my friends that work for French and British and Spanish and Italian magazines, and they all pretty much, you know, uh, were in support of Nikki and were uh, very critical of Danny Pedroza. And, and um, uh, I think that um, the, the opinion has changed and that, uh, at that if there's a silver lining that, that I was talking about, that would be it, that, uh, that Nikki has really um, got the support of the motorcycling or the MotoGP public uh, behind him and, and the MotoGP press. And, um, you know, it's uh, too bad it had to happen, but, uh, he, I think that that's that's the good side of it, and you know, if if he pulls it off this weekend, then uh, you can imagine just imagine how they're really going to come behind him. Yeah, I mean, if if he can if he can do it, and you know, you're beating, like you said, arguably maybe the greatest rider ever on one of the one of the best developed machines that you know in I can't say enemy territory, but certainly not Nikki friendly <laughs> territory, uh, and you're eight points back. I mean, how can you not? be considered a, a champion at that point you know it's it's a dogfight at yeah. that point yeah exactly i guess you know um you know italians and the euros in general i think they kind of like uh they like people to come from back from adversity and they like people to uh to, to face a stiff challenge and not maybe not not ride safe and stuff so in that way i think this is this has helped them you know he's just going to be going into valencia um with, with it all on the line and just knowing he just has to, to, to go in there and win and uh, not try to guard a points lead or anything like that. And, uh, I mean, in a certain way, it's, it's given him a bit of freedom. Obviously, asking Valentino to do, um, to, do to, to finish third or worse in a race uh, that's this important, it's, it's, it's tough to do. You know, it's, it's a little bit of a long shot, but it's not that long of a shot. I mean, uh, Nicky's comfortable on this track. Uh, um, and it's not Valentino's favorite track, although he has won there a few times. Um, so uh, it's 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 not just a it's not just a dream. Put it that way, you know, it, it could happen. Yep. Um, you, in your conversation, this is sort of a convoluted question or long 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 thing to get to a, a question here. But you've you've talked okay. to Nikki all season, and um, you kind of got a feel for how he's approaching the races. I'm sure there's conversations that are that. Um, you're, when you're talking to them that aren't recorded or, or don't get to the recording of the podcast, but um, early in the season, he looked to be much more aggressive than he's ever been, and, and I want to say he was rude at times, but bordering on rude in some passes and kind of the aggressiveness we haven't seen from him in a very long time. Um, but after Laguna, that seemed to go away. Now, was that sort of from your from your point of view? Was that uh, Nikki approaching things differently because he had such a big lead, or is that about the time the the Honda began to have all the all the problems, or a combination of the two? Yeah, you know, I, I think it was more the former. You know, um, again, I I don't really want to speak for Nikki, but my my, my impression has been that uh, that yeah, he you know he at, after Laguna he had a fifty one point lead over or it was I mean uh, it was, that that was over Valentino Rossi who was not in second at that point, but that was the one that most people were worried about, and. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he was what he was doing was riding smart, and um, and that's really what you know what you'd expect someone to do in that situation. He 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 did have bike problems. He had a, he had the problem with his clutch that was making it hard for him to start uh, to, to get a good start, and then um, or if he did get a good start, it would it would the clutch would be ruined, so he'd be having a hard time doing back shifts. So 
you know, he was trying to baby the thing off the line and then um, trying to not uh, get into trouble out there on the track. And, and you know, he, he up until that, really, he was the only rider to, uh, to score points in every round. So that it just, I mean, he's not, he's a smart guy and he knows that, uh, that winning is important, but consistency is also very important. I mean, you know, Valentino's won more races than, than, than Nikki this year, but, uh, just because of the fact that he's been so inconsistent, he's, he was behind up until, up until Estoril and, um, and, you know, for, for a while there, it seemed like he was completely out of the hunt and it might not be, um, is exciting as getting W's in the column, but, uh, but it's, it's, I think really think it is the way you win championships. And, um, and you know, you just have to do the best with what you've got. Just take, take, make the most out of every weekend. Uh, get, take what the, take what the situation gives you. Don't, don't give up anything. Um, but don't take any stupid chances. Now, again, I'm not a, I'm not a, a road racer. I'm not a, um, MotoGP guy and I'm not Nikki's spokesman, but, uh, that just seems to be that's that's my impression of the way it, it went down, and you know now we're coming to the last round, and uh, and all bets are off, and there's no more uh, riding safe. So um, now I think you know we'll we'll really find out who's who's the champion this weekend. Yep, absolutely. Chris John, I'm joining us from uh, Road Racer X here on Rumble Strip Radio. Um, last last kind of question on on this uh, on this topic, but even before what happened at Estoril happened. Um, do you think Nikki made a mistake re-signing with Honda? <laughs> Put me on the, the seat of heat, as John Stewart would say. Yeah. Um, um, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know, and I'm not just I'm not just losing out of that one. Um, I I was very critical of Honda of HRC in particular in my in my online column the, uh, last week, and um, and I stand by those things that I said. I think that. Uh, that the reason, you know, it's, it's well, it's well known that the reason that Valentino left Honda was because he didn't feel like it was a team. He didn't feel like uh, that they were a group of people that were working together. He felt like his his efforts and his abilities weren't recognized, and um, he resented that, and that's why he he moved on. And I think he's very happy at Yamaha and feels that he's found what he needs at Yamaha. Mm-hmm. You know, different riders are are require different things to succeed. And I don't know that Nikki is exactly the same as Valentino. Um, I, I'm sure, I mean, I have no, I, I, you know, it seems obvious that Nikki, uh, probably would prefer that there was, um, a little bit more, uh, team of the team feeling there and a little bit more support and that his, his efforts were recognized a little bit more. Um, I think, I think it's safe to assume that, um, but, uh, you know, I, I believe the reason he, one of the main reasons he decided to stay at Honda is because he wants to win. And I think that he thought that, that Honda will still give him the most, the, the best chance that uh, anybody could give for him to win. And um, that's especially true, uh, or would seem to be especially true for 2007 when we're switching to the 800cc displacement limit. Um, in the past, Honda has tended to, have an advantage on the first year of a new format, and uh, that was definitely the case when they went from the two strokes to the four strokes with MotoGP. Yep. And assuming that that's true, that uh, that Honda will have an advantage with their uh, with their new bike, um, then I think it'll prove to be a smart decision. Um, you know, Honda right now uh, they can't be they can't be happy with uh, with what with what uh, went down in Estoril, and they can't be happy with their image uh whether it's right or wrong um with the public and you know uh i think that uh, they have a lot of reason to want to prove that they are behind nikki next year and um a lot of a lot of motivation to try to uh show him that they value him and that they um respect him and um and i think he's done a lot of the donkey work this year and um and he he deserves to uh, to get a bit of a, a payoff, and hopefully that's what he'll get next year. Um, it's also worth mentioning. That, I mean, he, he this uh, this bike that he's riding, it's the they call it the Bruneau type RC 211V, and that's that that bike is uh, thought by although it's been denied by HRC, it's thought by some experts to be kind of a step in between 
the 990s that they're currently racing and the uh, 800s that they're going to be racing next year. It's got a smaller crankcase and some other things. It's, uh, I mean, actually, it could be part of the problem with, with the clutch. Is that it, um, it might, in effect, be a, a 990 using an 800 clutch. I don't know if that's true or not. But uh, bottom line is that Nicky's been developing that bike. He's been the only one developing that bike. And I think that he probably felt like it would be a shame to do all the hard work developing the bike and then uh, not get the benefit from it next year. Um, you know, I, riders, when they're the ones developing the bike, they make the bike the way they want it to be. And um, so that bike will be Nikki's bike next year. And, um, that could be an advantage. We'll see. Yep, definitely. Um, I don't want to uh, monopolize this thing just to talk about Nikki. Um, <laughs> a couple other, uh, well, we could say a couple of the other Americans have done, uh, had some reasonable showings this year, including um, Kenny Jr. Lately, uh, that bike's been competitive off and on, but he uh, he's really started to look strong here towards the tail end of the season. Yeah, you're right. He has, and, and, and you're also right. It is easy to kind of get focused on get focused on Nicky totally, especially uh, especially after last week. But uh, yeah, Junior's been been great this year, and and it's it's nice to see that. It's nice to see his dad's uh, team, you know, his dad's bike finally having some success, and it's nice to see Junior. Uh, once again, having some success, you know, he hasn't had much since, um, since his world championship in 2000, but he's, he's, he's a great rider. I mean, he's a former world champion, which uh, doesn't happen by accident. And any time, even on the Suzuki's, you know, when we were struggling over the past few years, any time it rained where it was, you know, you know, basically it rain as an equalizer. When any time the conditions were made so that it was equal, you know, he would poke his nose in there and be running up at the front. So, you know, just kind of reminding people, hey, I am still a, still a good rider, a great rider. Yep. And um, it's been it's been neat to see the senior and junior working together this year, and um, and both of them enjoying some much deserved and, and long awaited success. And um, you know, all it took really it seems like, not all it took, but the main thing it took was uh, was a good engine. And it's got it with the with the results they've had. It's a shame that they're so far haven't gotten a major sponsor. It seems. You know, that's a whole different topic, but it's amazing that uh, more sponsors aren't uh, coming into MotoGP. But, um, you know, just hope the best for, for, for both of them, and um, and hopefully they can keep the trend going for 2007. Yep. A uh, couple couple last questions to get to you, because I know you're on a time crunch, but uh, would like to get yeah, you no on uh, uh, after the season's over. To actually, and that's actually one of the topics I'd love to talk to you about is uh, is what the sponsorship uh, is going to look like next year since Fortuna's pulling out and um, a couple other ones. I think Camel might even be pulling out as well. So, um, yeah, that's what I've heard. Uh, what's your What's your opinion on this on on this statement? And then um, we'll uh, we'll talk real quick about what's to come here at Valencia. Uh, okay, I've uh, I've talked about the last couple races that if I were to pick a rookie of the year this year, I would pick Christopher Mullen for this reason. Mm-hmm. Danny Danny Pedrosa is a three time champion on the number one team on, you know, potentially the number one bike in the paddock. So he should have been expected to do well. Um, mm-hmm. Casey Stoner, um, you never know with him, but he's always shown that he could run up front. Uh, and he's on a Honda. Uh, to me, Chris Vermeulen is the rookie of the year because everyone said he made a horrible mistake going to Suzuki. Um, no one was really expecting much from him, yet he's had two poles, won a race, and, and maybe could even won the, um, the Laguna race had he not had bike trouble. And what, uh, what do you, what are you, what are your thoughts on that? That's, that's a good, uh, good argument. You know, um, I, I guess, uh, I've got mixed feelings on it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't really, honestly, to be honest, I don't know what the, the uh, criteria are for how they decided. I, I believe that, uh, that Danny has already been named the rookie of the year, but, um, um, you know, everybody, everybody can have their opinion. And I, it's certainly, it, it's, you know, Chris, just like, just like Hopper, you know, he has been at a disadvantage on, on, um, on the bike and on, on the tires he's on. I know Suzuki and Bridgestone have both come a long way this year. Uh, and, um, and I'm sure they'll continue to improve, but just, uh, up until now, um, they, they haven't been as strong as the other teams. And, um, and, yeah, you, you make some real good points about Chris. Uh, he's also coming from a from a different series. Doesn't know all the tracks, and um, and has a lot of other handicaps against him. You know, it, I guess it just comes down to how you how you define the rookie of the year and and what what criteria are used. But uh, but 
he, you know, like you mentioned, you mentioned Lagoon. I think, I think he had a real good chance of winning that race if he hadn't had those problems. And, um, and that's one track that he, that he did know. There, there are a few of them, but uh, I think that that being the case, we can expect some real good things from him um, in the coming season. You know, he's. Uh, I haven't, I haven't really talked to him a whole lot, but the, the times that I have, he seems to me like he's, he's a very, he's got his head on real straight. I mean, he's. A lot of the riders are nice and and try hard and everything, but Chris seems like uh, particularly well spoken and intelligent and um, and uh, driven. And but but you know a lot of them are driven. You know, like you mentioned Casey Stoner, and, and uh, he's he's another Australian who's very driven and um, and very fast. But uh, I think I think Chris might have a little bit better judgment. Um, <laughs> and it's probably I, I haven't really looked at their uh, I can't can't remember exactly their ages, but he's probably a little bit older and maybe that's why. But, uh, I think that, um, you know, he didn't get it this year uh, as far as I know, but, uh, I think that, uh, you're right. There's, it'll be, he'll be, he'll definitely bear watching here in the years to come. Yep. Absolutely. I think, I think Chris is about 20, 25 and Casey just turned 21 and, uh, having passed through those ages, I don't know about you, but there's a pretty big difference in the way that I approach life <laughs> between those two ages. So, um, definitely. In fact, I just I'll just jump in real quick. I mean, that's sure. that's you know, there's been the, the real the big youth movement uh, this season, and and um, you know, and it's it's all well and good, and there's it's, there's definitely good good reasons for the teams going with these younger riders. But we saw last week at Estoril that uh, sometimes some experience is nice to have. I mean, uh, you know, the two rookies both crashed out in in the race and uh, and took other people with them and in the qualifying they they kind of had a run in with each other and slowed up, screwed up a few other people's good laps so um you know but everybody's got got to learn but uh there's there's a lot to be said for um a couple of years experience like you said absolutely all right, well, let's get down to the the point of it. Obviously, the the re- well, one of the reasons that you're uh, headed out of town is not only is the last round of MotoGP and always a a pretty big party um, uh, with the big bonfires in the middle of town and everything, uh, which reports are that Pete Benson wanted to grab Danny and throw him into, but uh, that's a side. <laughs> um, but it is the last race, literally the championship for the first time in forever, coming down to the last race, eight points separating. I mean. Two hundred and fifty thousand crazy Spaniards coming in. I mean, can't really write a better script for the end of the season, can you? You really can't. I mean, I can't imagine uh, a better a better script or a better scenario for for series and all. I'm sure Dorna and uh, the people at the Valencia track must be uh, just just uh, giddy. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, it's it, Valencia is always kind of a fun race because a lot of the uh, a lot of the Americans head over there it's like michael jordan's gone there and with his whole entourage the past couple of years and oh just a lot of the different people from the industry and um it's uh it's just like you said it's a big party and um they have the uh they have the big party in chest day where they have the big bonfire then they have the official uh dorna season in party in 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 town in a you know disco something night and um just go to the to the wee hours and um a lot of fun is had by all, but uh, and then of course after the race you've got the you've got a lot of journalists trying uh, testing the the 2006 MotoGP bikes and then uh, some of the riders trying out the uh, the two they're getting their first or you know early tries on the on the 2007 bikes and um, I know Nikki and and Hopper are both going to get their first opportunities to ride their uh, respective 800s so. There's a lot going on. It's a it's a big deal. It's a fun. It's a huge crowd. Um, uh, record. I mean, it's I, I don't know what it's. I think it was 120,000 or something like that on Sunday alone. Something like that. Uh, yeah. Last year. Yeah, it's usually a sellout. So um, it's just a, a a really big fun deal. Anyway, I mean, even when the championship's been locked up, and um, just can't imagine what it's going to be like this year. It's uh, it's of course <laughs> it's going to be a little bit more tense maybe because the chance. Uh, the 250 and MotoGP championships aren't wrapped up yet, but um, but uh, that'll just make it a even bigger uh, blowout when when, the, when it's all finally finished, I guess. Yeah, if the Lollipop Guild wins the 250 race, hold on, you, we may not get a MotoGP race. <laughs> exactly. Flooding the track <laughs> up to that one. Yeah, that's a good point. So sorry, that's my nickname for Jorge is the Lollipop Guild since he's always got his prop <laughs> yeah. there on the on the podium. Um, yeah. Of course, at least he's got a good one. I always I call Danny the Hobbit for obvious reasons, but 
Yeah, I've, I've heard other uh, even less flattering names for them. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, if we got to put you on the spot, how do you see this race um, unfolding? Well, that's definitely putting me on the spot because, uh, well, I, you know, actually, I just finished up our uh, the, the the final um, show for the uh, Red Bull MotoGP Weekly Dispatch uh, uh, column or uh, uh, podcast over on. Um, RedBullUSGrandPrix.com. I had to squeeze that in there. <laughs> and, hey, that's fine. Uh, anyway, that's, fine. I, I, that's the same thing I was asking uh, those guys. I asked that to all uh, to all, all three of the guys, um, and um, and just like they couldn't really give me a solid answer, I can't really give you one either. Um, it's uh, it's it's tough to say. I mean, it's tough to bet against Rossi in in this, these situations. Like Nikki said, he's clutch. He uh, he almost always comes through when it's on the line. But uh, but this year he's looked human, you know, for a change. And um, I, you know, I still think he's the fastest guy out there. I still think he's the best motorcycle racer in the world. But um, uh, you know, all Nicky's got to do is 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 get a win on a track he's comfortable with, and hope that somebody gets between him and Rossi. And um, and uh, you know, whatever happens, I think the best guy will have won. The guy that did the, the most deserving guy will have won, and I'll be happy with it. Um, obviously, pulling for Nicky just because. Uh, just because he's an American, and um, and, and just because it'd be nice to kind of see somebody else get up there, but you know, if Valentino does it, it it'll just be incredible that he's come back from such a deficit, and um, it will have meant that he will have won every every 990 CC MotoGP championship ever held, um, in addition to having won the um, 125, 250, and 500 two-stroke um, championships. So. Uh, you know, uh, I'm just uh, really excited to, to go see it, whatever happens, and um, hopefully uh, everybody that's listening to the show will, if they can't make it to Spain, they'll be tuned in to uh, Speed or to MotoGP.com. Yeah, and hopefully the uh, MotoGP feed won't drop this time. <laughs> yeah, I not. I didn't get dropped, but it got a little little dodgy there for a while and then couldn't get back on later in the day to, to uh Yeah, I think, what I, I, think I, I think I screwed up by trying to re-log on. I thought there was something wrong, and I, I jumped off and tried to get back on, and by that point, it was uh, hopeless. So I had, to, I had to hang out and watch the finish of the race later. Yep. When, uh, when can we, um, when do we hear the, uh, the last, is this going to be the last podcast of the year, or will there be a wrap-up? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. It's, uh, originally, we were just going to do the, the 17 shows, but uh, the guys at Red Bull have been talking about possibly doing a, a post-race show. Probably kind of depends on what happens. Um, I'm definitely willing to, to, to do it. So, um, so I guess just kind of uh, tune in to, to the website or to roadracerx.com, and, um, and I'll uh, try to keep you guys posted. All right. Well, he does the, as he says, he does the uh, U.S. Uh, GP Red Bull. Moto, all right, I'm, I got the title wrong again, but he does the podcast <laughs> for Red Bull and the MotoGP. You can read him in uh, Road Racer X. He's the editor there. Uh, you can see him over at roadracerx.com. Writes a great uh, column road racer head every week. Uh, Chris enjoyed uh, having you on the show. Thanks. Uh, thanks for joining us and I hope to talk to you again soon and have fun in Spain. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me and uh, go Nikki. All right. Thanks Chris. Thank you. So once again, my, my thanks very, very much to uh, Chris and uh, in the chance uh, I had, uh, had a chance to talk to him for a couple of minutes after we, uh, we were done with that uh, interview he uh, very busy trying to finish packing and getting ready to go, but it sounds like uh, Chris will be moving to Europe after the first of the year, and um, still be doing everything he's doing with Road Racer X, but uh, gonna gonna live in Europe for a little bit and just get a little bit different perspective on things. So, and of course his work with the uh, Red Bull. Uh, U.S. Uh, U.S. MotoGP race in the in the in the podcast for that. So, uh, always encourage you that. I think the uh, by the time you get this, the podcast will be up for the uh, last race of Valencia. And as he said, they may be doing a uh, post race one or you know post event race, post event race that makes that's brilliant. Uh, post race show as well as sort of a season wrap up. And um, I'm excited. I haven't heard I haven't heard it yet, so I'm kind of excited to hear uh, what uh, Nick and and John and Randy and have to say as uh, as you get ready to go for that. So with that, we're going to wrap up the show, get out of here and uh, let you enjoy the race.
Next week, of course, pretty much the whole show. What are we going to talk about? We're going to we're going to ramp up the MotoGP season, talk about Valencia, and uh, all the action that happened there. Hopefully, it'll be a great race. Can only hope. So, once again, feedback: RumbleStripRadio at gmail.com. The website: www.rumblestripradio.com. Don't forget to subscribe while you're over there, and uh, you know, tell your friends about it. Burn a CD, pass it around, spread the word, spread the gospel. So. Until next week, I'm your host, The Duke. Have fun. Take care and be good. Let's hope for some good racing. Most importantly, keep it on two wheels. We'll see you guys. Strip Radio is a production of Raul Duke Media, LLC, and is protected under a Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved.